We're back. We're back. We're back. It's been quite a uh, hiatus. Not for them, but for Not us. Not for them, but for yeah, us. Yeah, because yeah. we pre-recorded, but I've been gone for like three weeks. Yeah. We haven't recorded in a long time. I'm rusty. Where did you go? What can you say about where you went? I went to Canada. Mm. You did? I did. I went to Canada. I've actually only been to Canada one time before, like Toronto. I went to Toronto on like a weekend trip when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Besides that, I'd never really been to Canada. Um, and I went to London, Canada, which is like a s- small I literally town. thought you were going to London. I know. Everyone did. I literally, literally was confused up until this very moment. I'm like, wow, you went to Canada and the UK. <laughs> no, I went to London, Canada, mm-hmm. where guess what? All the streets are named after various British royalty. Mm. There were so many billboards that were like, RIP the Queen. We love really? her so much. Yeah. More than other parts of Canada? I don't know about other parts of Canada, but I'm just saying like Canada do be loving British royalty still. I'm just wondering, is it like, did they just really try to embrace the name? They They're definitely like, tried. London, Canada. Yes, so like, we really care about the, the river that runs through London, Canada. It's called like the, the ri- Thames. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cocked. Um, <laughs> also just very like not doing well as a mm. city. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that they made towns like that in Canada, to be mm. honest. I thought that was a U.S. thing. No. There's They're not doing well. MGMI all over the first world. Canada had extreme go. MGMI vibes. Mm. Um, and then I went to New York for a weekend and I went to Trump Tower because I felt some weird magnetic pull. I was overcome with like a... I just felt like I needed to go. Like I was like, I don't know what it is, but I really, really need to go and yeah. see what's going on here. What's the vibe <laughs> at Trump Tower? The vibe Was it <laughs> ironic? Like, do people go to Trump Tower ironically? Or is it like pure, unironic, like, is, was it MAGA country in the I was middle expe- of New York? So I was expecting that. I Wait, was ex- and this was in New York. This is the New yeah, York. Yeah, New York yeah. City, mm-hmm. like right off Central Park in yeah. Midtown. Uh, Trump Tower. There's like the lobby where like Trump announced his presidential candidacy where he like was going down the escalator and like waving mm-hmm. and like whatever. Yep. Um, like, yeah, there's like a lobby, there's a restaurant, there's a bar and there's a gift shop. Mm-hmm. And then the rest I think is apartments. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I thought it was a hotel, but I, I don't. I thought it was like office buildings, but I just don't know. I'm just, I don't know. I think it's. I think it's mostly apartments. But I was expecting to go in and to see like just blatant maga tourism, mm-hmm. and everyone there felt as embarrassed to be there as me. Wow! Like everyone was kind of just like walk. And there were very few people there. It was like empty, uh-huh. and like everyone was kind of like walking around, sort of like side eyeing everyone else, and then like sneakily taking selfies uh-huh. and stuff. Yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. so, I feel like everyone was there, and like not everyone was there in like an ironic way certainly like didn't quite feel like that Mm -hmm. um there were like a lot of like businessmen not a lot of like a couple like couples of like businessmen with like a bleach blonde wife type of vibe that i was Mm -hmm. like okay they're probably just like genuinely maga and are like here Uh hanging out there was actually like so i went to trump tower my goal was i wanted to get a drink at the trump bar and Mm -hmm. just like get vibe vibe (laughs) yeah and um there was actually a rally going on in arizona while we were there so it was live stream they were live streaming the rally while we were there wow okay yeah it was so fucking weird it was me and my friend caroline who's also an astrologer and we were just literally like sitting in like a dark corner of this like weird bar just talking about like the astrology of like democracy and like the site there's like this whole curtis yarvin has this like whole bit about like cycles of democracy in america and like Mm -hmm. how we're like reaching one right now and like i don't think he realizes that it's the uranus return cycle but like it is what he's describing Mm -hmm. and it's like george washington abraham lincoln fdr and then now dot 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 question mark Mm. so we were talking about like is it trump like Mm. is trump this like thing like i don't know it's like kind of weird it feels like 
It really is. It feels, I mean, Trump really did lay bare the absurdity of it all. Yeah. You know, in yeah. a way that nobody else has. I mean, when you elect somebody like that, it's really surprising to me that it kind of increased vicious tribalism instead of people like stepping back and being like, wow, maybe this whole thing is just like really dumb. Yeah. You know? Well, that's why it feels like we haven't like maybe reached a climax of it yet. You know mm. what I mean? Like it feels like, but I can't tell like, is Trump 2024 going to be like a thing or like, is it going to be somebody else or like what? Like, I think Trump has been like so fully deplatformed that he kind of doesn't have a chance at a mainstream candidacy. Maybe. I don't know. Like I, I go back and forth, honestly. Mm. But I think so Trump Tower. So, yes, we were at the Trump bar. We were having this whole conversation like in like the corner of the bar. And then like we're going to leave and I'm like taking a selfie with like one of the Trump portraits, obviously. Uh And this guy in like a jack-o'-lantern hat like turns around and it's like, if you go to this corner over there, you won't get glare on the frame when you take it. (laughs) It's like, oh, thanks. And I like take it. And then he just starts like spewing out facts about like New York and he Mm. starts like telling us he's like there's a statue of Abraham Lincoln here it's the oldest statue of Abraham Lincoln there's a statue of George Washington Mm. over here it's and like he's like literally just telling us about the things that we were Mm -hmm. talking about and I was like Mm. are you listening to our conversation or are you like a weird demon sent to me from like a portal within Trump Tower maybe just the two A's in MAGA stand for autistic double autism <laughs> double autism yeah um yeah he definitely felt like it and and then I found out that like before I had gone one of my other friends had also felt a pull to go to Trump Tower mm. and he lied and told everyone that he was with that he was like going to meet up with a friend and like <laughs> just went off and then he went to Trump Tower also mm-hmm. so like clearly there's some sort of something I wonder that, if there's some sort of like karmic thing where it's like built on a ley line or a nexus point like I think, there's some like confluence of spiritual energy that I think so I think at I, my Trump Tower that created <laughs> Donald Trump that imbued him with this like chaotic spiritual energy well Trump created Trump Tower but I I think the thing is like a lot of the apartments are owned by like people that are like wanted for crimes in other countries like financial crimes uh-huh, mostly yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. stealing your mom's inheritance right. type of shit like on a large scale <laughs> large scale yeah so I'm wondering if like maybe they're doing some like weird satanic portal opening things in one of the apartments in Trump Tower mm. and like maybe they're doing it accidentally I mean like the paths that these people trace through life is just engraving really... eldritch runes on the city of New York. Yeah, there's right? just like lines being yeah. drawn out that are like no idea what yeah. they're doing. No, totally. There's definitely something going on. So that was fascinating. And then I went to New Mexico for two weeks and mm-hmm. I just hung out in the desert and just vibed. That was cool. Shot a gun for the first time. Awesome. How was that? It was fine. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I uh, like shooting sh- guns. You it's like fun. it? Well, I I don't love it, but I just think it's fun. I've only done it a few times. I, I don't really have any desire to do it a whole lot more, but yeah. I definitely have enjoyed it when I've done it. It's just it's very loud. That's it's the thing loud. I don't yeah. like. I don't like like the recoil. I don't think I'm like quite strong enough mm. in like my forearms to be able to like really uh-huh. control a gun. Yeah. My nail, like I don't have a like, good grip strength. <laughs> like, I'm not really meant for gun shooting, I don't yeah. think. I really like, uh, I don't actually really like guns that are very uh, big or that make loud noises or make yeah. a lot of recoil. I actually like tiny like, accurate like 22 rifles that you just like shoot a coke can from like a few hundred meters away yeah just feels really good yeah no that's that's even that though was too i liked shooting a rifle i shot a rifle and that was like more relaxed Mm -hmm. but they were like that has no stopping power someone's just gonna keep charging you like they don't even feel that i was like 
uh, can't win, yeah. you know? Yeah. But yeah, so that was my, that was my three week excursion. Nice. Welcome yeah. back. Welcome back. And, uh, I guess we haven't even talked about what we're talking about this episode, no, Not even. although it's bit. right here in the middle of the frame yeah. for anyone who's watching on video. So yeah, I think this, this is a book where, so we're going to talk about the sovereign individual mastering the transition to the information age by James Dale Davidson and Lord William Reese Mogg. Also authors of The Great Reckoning, the book title, the book cover tells me. And we're going chapter by chapter. Yeah. So, so we're really book clubbing one. it. Yeah. yeah. We, we read, haven't read, I didn't read anything after chapter me one. Me neither. Yeah. So we read chapter one and we're just going to kind of do chapter by chapter. I think maybe like once a month, probably. Like whenever we, if whenever you see a sovereign individual episode, it means we didn't have a better idea for an episode. I don't know. It takes we're a lot kinda, of preparation to read so many pages, three, you know? Like 50 pages. <laughs> So this Look book, at all these notes. We took so yeah, many we took notes. A lot of notes. It was a lot of preparation. So this was originally published in 1997. So this predates Bitcoin by a lot. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about it is that when you read it, I feel like it's really talking about Bitcoin. Totally. Right? Like it's it's like what other... I mean, I guess there are other technologies, but none that have had such... seem to have the same potential for creating the sweeping changes that Bitcoin that they, yeah. could, could create. Well, what was like the state, like what I don't really understand is like, what was their technical know-how in terms of like understanding cyber money? Yeah. Like I when mean, they wrote this, cause they really, I mean, they directly say like, there's going to be cyber money right. and that's going to be difficult to trace and to tax. Yeah. I mean, thinking about it, 1997, like personal computers were a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the internet wasn't incredibly widespread, but people were starting to have access to the internet. Uh, smartphones were not a thing. So accessing the internet was entirely at home on like a, right. on a PC. Um, I think they're, they must just kind of be futurists. Yeah. Cause like, okay, this says that the main guy is a venture capitalist and entrepreneur, uh, who did invest in tech stuff. And then the other guy was editor of the times. Mm. As I was telling Casey, this guy, the Lord of this book was editor of the times from like 1967 to 1981, something like that. Mm. And so he was editor of the Times whenever we got off the gold standard. Yeah, right. And then Satoshi right. Nakamoto, yeah. Genesis block message, the right. Times declares yep. Chancellor on the brink of second bailouts for banks. I just feel like it's a interesting coincidence of uh, coinciding yeah. the Times references. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we should get into it because we have like literally pages of There's so thoughts. much. Yeah, there's there's tons here. Yeah, there's tons here. <laughs> should we start with talking about the fall of nation states, which is probably the biggest like thing that the sovereign individual yeah. harps on? Yeah. Um, let's see. Do we have any good good quotes? Um, uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> we li- have lots of quotes. I, I wrote down so many quotes. This book is so quotable. Yeah. The way they write is like insane. Oh yeah. Cause they're kind of bombastic. They kind of go ham. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're listening, like definitely read this. It's a fun book. Uh, you can probably download a PDF for free of it That's somewhere. That's what I did. Buy Very sovereign individual of me. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with this quote. Um, the liberation of a large part of the global economy from political control will oblige all remaining forms of government to operate on more nearly market terms. They will ultimately have little choice but to treat populations and territories they serve more like customers and less in the way that organized criminals treat the victims of a shakedown racket. I said, this is Casey's dream world. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. When I was reading this, like, I was like, wow, Casey's going to fucking love this. Well, like, I've been thinking a lot about... um, well, I think it's good to think about we all we all kind of kind of hate the government for different different reasons. We'd like mm-hmm. the government to be different. We'd like it to make less stupid decisions. And it's good to drill down into why governments suck. 
right? And mm -hmm. the reason that governments suck is that they aren't constrained by the forces of competition. Mm -hmm. they, they neither have incentives that guide them to do good things, nor constraints that cause them to cease to exist when they suck too bad. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, the idea of the liberation of large part of the global economy from political control means that uh, what they're getting at is that a lot of economic activity will be beyond the reach of governments. Mm -hmm. And so governments can't just like create arbitrarily arbitrary dictum anymore. Mm -hmm. They have to, um, if, if you can choose to be under the, um, sort of aegis of a government, if you can choose like which, which, where your enterprise, where your businesses are located, uh, the government has to treat you like a customer, right? Not like this captive sort of cow to be milked for, you know, butter and cheese. So I believe that that I, first of all, that's already happening, right? With like very wealthy people putting their money in offshore accounts or just like starting businesses in other places that are more like tax advantageous. Like mm -hmm. I believe that that will happen is happening for the upper crust of society and uh -huh. corporations. What I'm wondering is like, how much does this actually translate to like, let's say like the top 30%? I think, uh, it, absolutely translates to the top 30. Does it translate even if you don't want to move physically? Yes. Yeah. Because so for one thing, uh, so if you want to move, um, the adoption and increased knowledge of English as a lingua franca means that you have a good chance of being able to go to a different country. Uh, if you can, if you're in the top 30 and you can make it to another country and another city in another country, you can, uh, get a job. You can have a social life there. There's going to be a, an expat bubble that you can be in right of course and with remote English. work all yep. these kind of things you can yeah. find a date yeah uh and then you can go to another place and you can you can keep your job in wherever you left or even if you're in you know one country even if you live in for example america and you don't want to leave mm -hmm. you can get a remote job in another country and there's a good chance that you might even be able to avoid paying taxes by just saying that like oh yeah i live in like hyderabad or something and uh not revealing your identity to your remote employer so essentially you're in America, you're consuming uh, public goods and services, but America isn't getting any of your taxes, doesn't know about your job, can't control you. How, I mean, I guess this is also sort of another primary thesis of this book, like that kind of contributes to this question. But like, to me, that seems like something that would only be accessible to like a very specific knowledge base type of person. Mm. Like you're talking about like s skirting around like government taxes basically while still living in that country. Mm -hmm. Like that seems like something that the average person like would not know, be comfortable or able to do. True. Yeah. 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 You but, know, but also even if they can't directly do it, they benefit from the increased competition for. So, uh, if there's some amount of, if, if the government acts badly, if the gov if, if the government knows that bad policies will cause brain drain that will cause it to lose people, prestige and tax revenue. Mm -hmm. It has to enact good policies and it has to enact good policies for everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. So even the people who aren't, you know, the ones who would leave if the policies are bad, still benefit, still from, benefit from that from competition. The good exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's like the government would then be competing over like, I don't know, some top percentage of high value workers or like high wealth people. Yeah. The most mobile people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah initially. Yeah. Um, Although, you know, you would imagine that as time goes on, the knowledge and ability to sort of participate in jurisdictional arbitrage will become more widespread 
and people will make tools specifically for doing that. Yeah. You know, like encrypted communication tools, remote work tools that are end-to-end encrypted, uh, you know, job search boards yeah. where and, and hiring practices that don't necessarily care about where you are. So I imagine that it'll become more and more uh, democratized. Democratized. Yeah. <laughs> By which I just mean like, you know, accessible. More available more and, more. and accessible. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, for example, if you look back in time at the advent of mobile phones, mm-hmm. you or let's take the advent of computers, mm-hmm. right? You would have said, okay, you know, computers, the top 0.1% is going to have computers, right? They're these incredibly expensive, incredibly hard to operate things, right? right? And then, but over time, it's gotten to the point where people in the poorest countries on earth have Android smartphones in their mm-hmm. pockets, right? So I, I, I think that technology, techniques, and knowledge can become more widespread than we think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, actually. I mean, it's like yes and no for me. Like, I feel like the vibe of this book so far is very like John Perry Barlow cyberspace libertarian core mm-hmm. of just like, yeah. we are free in cyberspace. And uh-huh. in cyberspace, you can't tell us who to be. Like, you know, it's 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 very cyberspace utopian libertarianism. I don't know about utopian because there's a lot of dark stuff in there. There is dark stuff, but I feel like the way that they frame it is like, people are going to resist. They're not going to like it. But this is what, you know, the way we got to go. Because we got to, like, they clearly like it, you know? Yeah. Actually, I think they said, like, one of the first quote, one of the first lines, because when we were talking about the sovereign individual in maybe our last episode, I don't remember when we were like, Mm -hmm. what's a sovereign individual? I don't fucking know. Right. Right. Um, we, We were discussing whether the sovereign individual was an apocalyptic dystopian Mm -hmm. concept or an apocalyptic utopia or something else. And like what they said in the beginning of the book was, quote, we mean our work to be apocalyptic in the original meaning of the word. Apocalypsis means unveiling in Greek. We believe that a new stage in history, the age of the sovereign individual is about to be unveiled. So they're sort of like nuanced about like, is this bad or good? They're just saying like, like actually it is something that I really like about this book is that like they sort of, (laughs) they sort of talk about all these things in like an inevitable vibes consciousness evolution kind of way Mm -hmm. where they're just like, and this is the way (laughs) we're in this, this revolution and it will happen so fast and there's nothing we can do about it just is what it is. Like, which I agree with personally. Um, but I don't know. I think like it, it, it feels like, yeah, I don't know. It feels like, it feels like they're sort of like stating it in this, like, like they're clearly pro sovereign individual. Seems like it. Yeah. You I, mean, know? I mean, it sounds like they think governments are mostly incompetent and that we'd kind of be better off without them. I mean, when you describe governments like current governments as behaving, you know, like organized criminals who treat like organized criminals engaging in shakedown rackets, yeah. like you're not positive on the current no, state of government. No. But no. maybe let's like lay out the whole, let's just do like a broad outline okay. for people who maybe probably haven't read it or, you know, don't want to read it. Yeah. So it's just easier <laughs> to follow along. So like, the basic idea is that they think that information technology mm-hmm. and microprocessors, they talk about microprocessors a, a lot, lot. All yeah. the time. I was like, what do you even mean? Yeah. Like what? Microprocessors, cyber money, mm-hmm. um, cyber politics. Yeah. Um, cyber economy. Yeah. Just every, cyber markets. Cyber markets. I mean, yeah. the ability of people to uh, avoid, to conduct activities online in such a way that it evades detection and interference by the state mm-hmm. moves a whole bunch of economic activity online, makes it easier to uh, evade taxes, 
and will cause states essentially to to shrink in their influence. Um, it they also like I, I don't know what exactly kind of world they imagine. I mean, we've only read the first chapter. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But like, it sounds like they're imagining a world where like so much of human activity is sort of done in a way where it's like neither here nor there, like it's online. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I wonder how that meshes with the realities of physical production of factories and, and all that, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. I, I also think there's an element of like, I mean, obviously it's called the sovereign individual. It's not just about like, like they didn't call this the fall of nation states, right? right. There, there's this, like they, I think they actually literally compare sovereign individuals to being similar to Greek gods. Mm -hmm. Like they say like the sovereign individual, like compared to like what the Greeks imagined the gods would be like, like the sovereign individual is basically that like in this situation, just because like the magic of computers and like what you can do basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like it's not just this kind of like political, it's sort of like political economic prediction theory mixed with kind of like, I don't want to say self-help because they're not telling you to become a sovereign individual, yeah. but they're sort of saying like some people who are very good. No, they definitely say you need to pay attention to this. You need to pay attention to this yeah. change. Like they want, this book is supposed to be read by future sovereign individuals. Yeah. <laughs> they even credit their, their, the, the credit of the book is uh, to Anun, Ziada and Brooks, sovereign individuals in the new millennium, which are like clearly like their daughters. Wow. Right? Oh, that's cute. I found the part which is a little bit dark. Okay. So they talk about essentially the emergence of Osama bin Laden, an individual with a bunch of money, as being a, as the enemy in chief of the United States, and that this reflects a momentous change in the nature of warfare. A single individual, albeit one with hundreds of millions of dollars, can now be depicted as a plausible threat to the greatest power of the industrial era. So that's the dark part that they see that like individuals will be able to obtain such power and such ability to operate outside of the reach of uh, governments that they'll sort of become sovereign in a bad way, able to like wield violence. Um, And later on they, they say, we believe that as the modern nation state decomposes, Latter-day barbarians will increasingly come to exercise power behind the scenes. Groups like the Russian Mafia, which picks the bones of the former Soviet unions, other ethnic criminal gangs, nomenclaturas, drug lords, and renegade covert agencies will be laws unto themselves. So it's like it's it's both a decay in the in the power in the in the monopoly of violence, in the ability of nation states to maintain a monopoly of violence, and a growth in subnational. entities and groups that are able to wield violence. Well, this is literally what I was talking about in the astrology episode of this podcast where I was saying like that the previous, because I was talking about the Saturn Uranus cycles and how like the previous cycle was about like capitalism versus communism. And Mm -hmm. now this like it's centralization of power versus decentralized, like enemy from anywhere type of things. Like maybe it's enemy from online. Maybe it's like terrorism. Like it's not like, one giant country versus another giant country. It's like yeah, the right. concept of giant country versus like the decentralized mm. or sort of anarchist right. kind of like right. rising up from different weird places because right. of like the internet. Um, yeah. It's like, there's good and bad to that. Right. Like I've actually been thinking about this a lot. Like, um, uh, like the age of information, which also they talk about a lot in this as being like 
the greatest uh, evolution since the age of like the agricultural revolution Mm -hmm. that like, or I think they say like uh, the four stages of human society were like first hunter gatherer, then agricultural, then industrial and now information. Mm -hmm. And so now we're in this like information age and this is like the dominant thing, which I agree with. Um, But I feel like it's kind of interesting to think about like, um, I don't know, like they're, they're almost describing like a consciousness evolution with this book. Like they're kind of saying like some people are going to read the writing on the walls and be able to put the pieces together and they're going to be able to rise up and become gods basically. And that like who those people are, they don't really like necessarily say like, oh, it's going to be these people specifically. It's more like people that have like the knowledge and skills. Like I think they, they talk a lot about how like the thing that will be the like best skill to have is like certain particular like information and like uh computer based skills not necessarily like having a lot of money for example or being a part of a certain family or like i mean they also said a lot that uh like this this coming phase will will benefit the rich the the not rich more than the rich right that the current like laws are the current like system is mostly are mostly impediments to becoming rich, mm-hmm. not impediments to maintaining your wealth once you have it. Right. Do you feel like a sovereign individual, or like do you feel? Because I was reading this, being like, I I feel like he's talking about Casey. Um, not really. I fear the government, <laughs> and I uh, don't want to get fucked by the government, and I don't really feel like I'm outside of the reach of the government. Do you feel like you're feel on like your if, path? Yeah, I feel like I'm on my path, but I'm like, uh, like, uh, like, uh, who's the star of, who's the Hobbit? Not Bilbo, but Frodo. Frodo. Yeah. Kind of like Frodo, like going through Mordor. Like maybe I'm going to make <laughs> so it. So now you're Frodo. But if that big red eye like t- turns its gaze mm-hmm. on me, I might be a little fucked. Yeah. 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 But it feels like, well, okay. I'm not saying you're a sovereign individual, like practically and logistically, although maybe you'll figure out, you know, how to do that from reading this book, mm-hmm. but in terms of like the type of person that they describe as being like, cause yes, I was thinking who's probably. more sovereign individual, me or Casey? <laughs> well, I think you're more sovereign because of your practical skills of like growing food. But that's not even really, they don't even give a shit about no, that they in don't. this book. They don't, they don't even care. I, because like, it doesn't seem like they think that there's going to be a chaotic breakdown of technology, a chaotic technological exactly. breakdown. Yeah, right? I, so, th- I think their presumption is that as long as you have access to the cyber marketplace, like, you will be able to like move physically wherever you need to move to like still be able to participate in the economy, which is mostly going to be done in cyberspace. Well, and also that like capitalism is really going to just continue to rip, right? Yeah. Goods are going to be uh, like physical goods, like food, electricity, healthcare, water. Uh, these things are all going to be as uh, available, if not more available due to like greater efficiencies. I actually don't think they would argue that because this is this is a point I wanted to bring up that I felt was like a a difference between your perspective of the future and their perspective of the future. Mm-hmm. They specifically say like that during the industrial age, the top 15% of the world lives in unearned comfort. Right. Um, and that like in the information age, that whole like, you know, what they call basically the welfare state, it, like it, it, that's bolstering people like like they say that the welfare state is like dissolving and like that all these people who are benefiting from but this. To the top 50, 15%. I don't think that the top 15% in like America, for example, are in the top 15% because of the American welfare state. Uh, but I think they're saying top 15% of the world, meaning like the West at large. Right. Yeah. Like I, that people I in think, America live in unearned comfort, as right. they say, because of like, 
America or the West's like social safety net. Like that basically like, I think like that's, I feel like what they're kind of like getting at is that like, there's actually these like exceptional people that are creating a lot of wealth. And then that's sort of like unfairly taken from them and redistributed. Uh, I'm not saying I agree with that or I think that's the case. I think that's, that's what I got from what they're saying. This is the way that I interpreted what they were saying, that they were saying that the top 15% of the world is like doing way, way better than the, than the bottom 85% of the world. Mm -hmm. I think the stat they gave was the top 15% has an average income of like $28,000. I mean, this is in 1997. So however, however much and that the rest, the bottom 85% of the world has an income of a thousand dollars a year Mm -hmm. on average. And I think that they view the feeling that I got was that they view this as just being an accident of the jurisdiction in which people were born. Yeah. And that as the ability to move jurisdictions and perform jurisdictional arbitrage increases, that there's kind of no reason that you should have these silos of wealth that sort of the, 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 the floodgates will be open and there's just going to be this kind of leveling across jurisdictions. But then, so uh, I think that like, I, I think that's a fair assessment. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why I don't think that's what they're saying is because that would just be a redistribution of the 15%. Like the 15% wouldn't, uh, you know, whatever. Maybe Not really a like, redistribution, but that like, you know, for example, that the bottom 85% would have access to job markets, access to technology, access to et cetera, that would allow them to compete away the, uner- the, the, unearned. The, wealth of, the unearned wealth of the top 15%. I feel like the vibe I got from it was more like that the sovereign individuals will like liberate themselves from having to support everyone else that like then they can go off into their like hexagons in the middle of the ocean and like do their thing rather than like what do you say hexagons that's like the libertarian hexagons they like have these little hexagon like structures that like are supposed to be like sovereign nations in the middle of the ocean yeah they're always trying that shit yeah they like minerva they had an (laughs) island or something for a little bit yeah they love doing that shit so Um, i guess i I sort of just disagree with both takes i think that the top 15 percent of the world doesn't live in unearned comfort i think that they have uh stability rule of law relatively liberal governments uh relatively stable currencies relative to the rest of the world uh, there is some aspect of, you know, sort of like uh, the American privilege of printing the dollar, but that doesn't really explain Canada or Europe um, and other parts of the world that are that are, you know, China, uh, South Korea, Japan, Taiwan. Um, I think those countries are just run better and that's why they're wealthier. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that that somehow goes away in this coming transition because I don't think that it's unearned. I think it's just, well, the jurisdiction is run well and so it's wealthy and the people who live there are wealthy. I kind of do feel, well, I don't, I unearned is like a weird way of saying it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's like unearned, but I think it's more like a f- product of like, yes, yeah, situational, yep. like luck basically, like were you born in America or somewhere right. else? Um, the, the change- and I do feel like that is personally, I feel like that is going away as sovereign individuals, whatever, can liberate themselves from like having to be beholden to their government. That's correct. But I also think that uh, governments being forced to be more competitive Mm -hmm. will uh, force all of these shitty countries to just have better rules. But what do you mean by shitty country, better rules? Uh, Massive amounts of bureaucracy in India, crazy taxes, weird uh, tariffs, weird protectionism, crazy labor regulation, right? Those are the things that I think, insane money printing, incredibly corrupt politics, incredibly corrupt policing, right? These are the reasons that the bottom 85% of the world is poor as shit. 
So if, if, if governments are forced to be competitive, mm -hmm. then I think they're just going to make better policies and the lot of those 85% will get better due to those better policies. I think that like the wealthy are just going to like move around with their money and just like hoard it and do whatever they want with it. And then like everyone else is going to be fucked. Yeah. I don't think that's how it works. I just, yeah, I, mean, I, that's I know just, this that's is just, just a not fundamental my model difference. of the world. I, I do think, I do think that it is true that wealthy people will be the first to escape. Yeah. Right. If you have resources, yeah. you can get out of bad situations. Right. Uh, I don't really use the word hoarding wealth, but yeah, they'll protect their wealth from governments who seek to steal it from them. Right. And they'll be able to do that more and more effectively. Well, I mean, the government, like in the U.S., employs like ten percent of the population or something. That's right. Like, yeah. so if that goes away, regardless of like if those people then develop other skills that make them more useful in a different way, like they that's don't have still to do anything. Level they of... can sit in dark rooms and they'll still be having a net more positive impact on the world. No, but I'm if they but they're not the going to be making a salary. Like, how are they going to support their lives? This They'll is get what a I'm job. Okay, but this is what They'll I'm get saying. Get a real is job. That, like, this, like, like I think that this, this is why I, I tend more towards an apocalyptic reading of like this future. Whereas mm. I feel like you're more like, no, this is going to like create abundance because we're going to be liberated from the bureaucracy of the government. Like, that's going to make everything so much better. A little bit of a straw man, but that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. I like don't disagree in some ways, but I think like the chaos of that transition is going to be very bad. Like if like, I don't think that like people that have been working for the government for decades of their lives and because they were promised a pension at the end and didn't have like a desire to do something greater that like those people are going to lose their job and all of a sudden have this like, whoa, like maybe I could go get some useful skills and like benefit my community, blah, blah, blah. Like I think those people are just going to be angry. No, they're going to listen. People get fired. What do they do? They look for a new job. But in mass, like, yes, on an individual level, but These like people are cucks. These like government bureaucrats, they're like non-agentic cucks who work like desk jobs. Well, this also, there are lots of desk jobs. This, They'll find another desk job. This also, I think, is like another thing that I feel like is my more apocalyptic reading of the sovereign individual is that like, I kind of feel like like they don't so far we'll see how much like more they go into it obviously we've only read chapter one mm -hmm. but i feel like they're sort of glossing over the fate of all non-sovereign individuals mm, like yeah. and yeah, I, yeah. to me maybe i think this is where we differ okay so like i'm i think like oh governments losing their ability to sort of to to subjugate people mm -hmm. will force them to be competitive in their policies and will make them make better policies and then everybody will be better off. Okay. Whereas your view is kind of like, um, the increased ability of people to free themselves to avoid the government yeah. will lead to this like pulling off of the like upper crust, the, like top 1% leaving everybody behind in the shambles that remain. Yeah. And I don't know that that's a permanent state, right. but I think that that's, that is a, transition state yeah. at the very least speaking of transition states uh one really interesting they said thing they said when they were talking about history i wish i had the um like a quote in front of me but they talked about the fact that when a powerful group has fallen in history like mm -hmm. a group that had a lot of power a lot of influence and oftentimes a lot of prestige that after they declined in power uh there was there would oftentimes their prestige would be replaced by widespread contempt right. for them. Yeah. Right? Like uh, very powerful religious orders like the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. uh, the Catholic Church just didn't kind of decline in power. Like they declined in power and 
a lot of their former territories were just contemptuous of them. Right. And I've, I've thought about this a little bit in terms of Bitcoin. Like, let's say that, you know, Bitcoin becomes incredibly popular and widely used mm -hmm. and government money just becomes kind just becomes like a joke. Everybody knows that the government like doesn't really do a good job of regulating financial markets, doesn't do a good job at creating money and is also powerless to stop this new cyber money. <laughs> <laughs> the cyber market. Yeah. Will, will, will people sort of, will, will that lead them to feel more contemptuously about the powers that be? Like, oh, look, like the United States government is no longer the issuer of the most imp important currency in the world. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're fucking idiots. Maybe they're weak and deserving of contempt. I think, yes, yes. And certainly that is happening, right? Like there mm -hmm. is like, there's a lot of people who fucking hate the government in the United States. But what they also talk about in this book that I think is, also definitely happening they talk about like the the luddites mm -hmm. that like there will be this like rise yeah, up of yeah, people yeah, that yeah, are yeah. just going to be like fuck this new situation like we're not yeah. about like like anti-technology or anti like whatever i mean um, the, the no coiners i mean no no coiners. no coiners are the bitcoin version of this they're yes. these luddites in the context of bitcoin who but, see this as a threat they see that like this threatens everything they do yes and so they should oppose it and i think like that will compose a large percentage of the population in Western mm. countries. Like, I mean, that is like the ESG narrative basically in a nutshell is like, let's shut down like these new things. Right. We need to like go. It's, it's, it's a Luddite movement ultimately, yeah. you know, I, I wonder, I think it has a lot to do how sharp the, the speed and the chaos of the transition has a lot to do. will will determine, I think how strong that counter reaction is that yeah. will determine the strength of the counter-revolutionary reactionary force. Yeah. Right? Like if it's sudden and bloody and people are suddenly out of work and things are thrown right. into disorder, there's going to be a lot of resistance. But if Bitcoin kind of slowly creeps up, you know, a little bit, people use it a little bit more, some central banks buy it, et cetera, et cetera. It could have a really gradual arc that doesn't make it many enemies. Maybe. I don't know. I mean... It feels the vibes feel the vibes feel weird, you know. The vibes, <laughs> yeah, on it edge. Doesn't feel like it's going to be a nice, friendly transition because it does feel like the government or the powers that be are grasping. Yeah, and I think they talk about this a little bit too. Like, I'm curious to see if they go into it more. But like, I I think ultimately the nation states will fall. But I think before they fall, like before that power falls, mm -hmm. like it's going to be. A clinging. Yeah. I mean, for example, one thing they talked about is that, um, you know, once the ability of the state to collect taxes begins to diminish, uh, the state might resort to quite nasty tactics yeah. in order to raise funds. I think they will. In particular, uh, like literally kidnapping people, right? They see some rich person who has like a big ass house and a bunch of Teslas or whatever and a bunch of hoes. And they're going to go and be like, all right, well, you know, you're not paying your taxes. We can't prove that you're, we don't know your money flows, but mm -hmm. clearly, you know, you have all this shit. We're just going to put you in jail until you like relinquish some proportion of your tax, of your, of your wealth to us. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see that happening. I think it's already starting to happen. I think, yeah. I mean, I think governments are incompetent, but they also like crave power and will do anything to maintain that. So while they might like ultimately lose and not do a great job like mm. long term, yeah. I feel like there is going to be 
a chaotic one, and difficult transition period. One sort of counterexample to that scenario that I just described is mm-hmm. Argentina. Nobody in Argentina pays their taxes. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely nobody. And that's why that's one of the reasons why the government resorts to such enormous and to such a, a, enormous amounts of money printing mm-hmm. that create crazy amounts of inflation. Right. So that's sort of sort of like a positive signal that maybe if they can't at least in Argentina it seems like when they can't pay their ta- when when they can't raise money by collecting taxes they print a bunch of money and cause inflation. But Bitcoin sort of hems them off from that. They that that's not an option if nobody wants your money. Right. I mean, they do. They do also in this book predict money printer go, you know, like they're like, yeah, like the rise of cyber currency is going to be like partially with the rise of money printing. Mm -hmm. And then they say, quote, only the poor will be victims of inflation. Mm. But that I feel like is the under I mean, you know, maybe this is just a different perspective on it that they they're they're obviously choosing to focus on the sovereign individual and not the everyone else right that's the book title but like a lot of a lot of the changes that they describe the changes have to do with the state of the masses changing but i feel like the subtext is still like sure poor get fucked yeah and this is probably where i disagree i mean like i think this is where yeah you can have a bitcoin wallet on your phone like people are out there buying 50 dollars of bitcoin and on coinbase and Obviously, probably a lot of them are keeping them on Coinbase. Right. But if it was uh, necessary to preserve your wealth to get it off Coinbase, they'd learn how to use wallets in a hurry. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. Things like Fediment, like community uh, Chaumian mints, where you can have pretty sovereign access to Bitcoin in an extremely private way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's available to the extremely poor and gives them access to the best money on earth and the best payment, the best settlement network on earth. Right. Yeah. I mean... I don't know. As I said, I feel like it is like I I view it in terms of like an consciousness evolution where it's Mm -hmm. like the girls who get it, get it. And the girls who don't, don't Mm -hmm. like some people will get it and some people will like learn the skills or like that fucking guy that we met in San Mateo that was like, oh, I'm 3D printing guns and I'm just an electrician, but I know how to use Bitcoin. Like people like that, you know, (laughs) like that there will just be like random ass people that are, I don't know, on frog Twitter or something that like will learn these things and they will be able to kind of like, there's definitely going to be people who are way ahead of the curve. Right. And like, we'll be able to significantly improve their lot in life. Like, yeah. Well, everybody else is being, ass fucked by inflation but they're going to be like the value of my bitcoins is fucking going through the roof exactly so that's but that i think is like it's only some people get through that filter right like and which what part of society gets through that filter see that's that's where i see it differently yeah like in in i don't know when was the iphone released uh god knows i don't know like 2004 or something sure i don't know yeah okay let's say personal computer you know came out in 1983 right Mm -hmm. it wasn't like some filter that like some small amount of people got through that filter and got a personal computer. Yeah. It's something that became more and more and more accessible until practically everybody who wants a computer can have one. And so you had these like super cheap, like pay by the month computers. Mm -hmm. Same with phones, right? Uh, Smartphones weren't some, you know, like a filter that like a small percent of the population got through and got smartphones. There were things that got more and more common, cheaper and cheaper and cheaper until everybody has one. I mean, can everyone have a UTXO? <sighs> okay, good. Good, <laughs> good retort. All right. I'm just saying. Got me there. Yeah, no, only. I mean like, well, but you know, with things like Fediment, where essentially you have joint ownership of UTXOs and channels, not everybody can have their own UTXO, but everybody can have their own balance on a Fediment node. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I 
obviously I'm not like apocalyptic about Bitcoin future, like, Mm -hmm. or I wouldn't be obsessed with it, you know, but like, I do think that there's like, I think this, this book sort of overestimates the power of this revolution to like overtake large scale violence. Like it's very optimistic. I 100% agree. Yeah. That this is, I have, I think I have a lot of doubts like you, uh, that can't, can this really bring how many people will coming technological changes lift out of the grasping claws of, of nation state violence? Yeah. And I think the, the one observation that one has about the world is that a lot of important enterprises require some fairly large, fairly permanent physical footprint. Mm-hmm that will be very hard to abstract away into the cyber economy, right? Like a good example is the production of um, semiconductors, the production of microchips mm-hmm. and microprocessing. Microprocessing. Yeah, as they're so <laughs> happy to talk about. Like, yeah, they those, love microprocessing. Those are massive, massive facilities with massive, like, you know, billions, probably approaching trillions of dollars worth of physical capital Mm -hmm. and highly trained operators, highly trained personnel who must be on site in order to operate that capital. Yeah. Uh, That is an operation which, which cannot, which I don't see a technological Avenue for that kind of physical operation to reduce its footprint in the real world and thus bring it outside of the grasp of physical violence. Yeah. Um, a lot is made much hay is made over the idea of like fully remote digital work. I'm not, I don't know how, you know, how, how, if a bunch of people in a building at the same time can, if we can create something that's much, much more productive than that, I think there are reasons why people show up to the office every day Obviously, it's not as necessary as we think, but is is that really going to be able to disappear into the cyber economy, leaving well, right. no trace what, for the nation state? What percentage of uh, actual life will be happening in cyberspace versus like in the physical world, you know? And I think like there's just, to me, it's like they're just different realms and there's like certain things that people will do online and like mm-hmm. that they will favor, but there are just some things that will not be favored online. But if like 50% of the economy is like making stuff, making food, transporting totally. goods, can't even, even uh, work where people need to be in the same building uh, in order to talk to each other, like to have high bandwidth communication. No, I hundred. I mean, even in this book, this is sort of off topic, but I, I think it's still related. Like they even talk about in this book how like if you're ugly, it's not even going to fucking matter because yeah, no right. one's going to you see ugly, your face. You fat, I, nobody gives. I should have looked up what they look like. Cyber hose. I was like, I was like, are they just coping? Like are they just <laughs> fugly and they want right. like a future where that doesn't matter? But like to me, it's like. Yeah, like, okay, yes, you can, like, edit your face with filters or whatever, but, like, being hot is still important, like, in the digital world, if not more so because people are, like, seeing you more, like, more human beings are able to see you than, like, mm. would before. Like, yeah. being a hot girl has value on the internet. There's yeah. no, like, I don't think that you're just gonna be able to, like, hide behind your avatar and, like, look however you want. No one will, like, give a shit about it. I don't know. Being, like, like you could, it's interesting what's gonna happen once filters get really good yeah. to the point where it's just indistinguishable. Will people always be looking for the people who they think are real? Will people be able to distinguish between the real 
hot people and the not hot people who are just AI enhanced? I don't know that they will, but I still think it will matter in like normal interactions. Like maybe you'll be able to build up like a parasocial kind of relationship with people through your avatar or your filtered self online. But Mm -hmm. like, I still think like, it's just, it's kind of interesting to read this book and think about like, I feel like so many of the people that are really into this idea, like the sovereign individual are actually people that are also into like health maxing, Mm, you know, like that, like the sovereign individual doesn't like end at like the digital space. It's like also like, are you in good health? Are you like sovereign in the sense that like, you're not like in such terrible health that you need the government and like you need the social safety network support in order to like be a part of society, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think sovereignty extends beyond obviously sovereignty extends beyond like digital and Mm -hmm. i feel like they're only talking about sovereignty as like a digital concept like Mm -hmm. how do you become digital and how do you become sovereign in cyberspace right right but i think like our sovereignty is being threatened in like physical reality a lot you know and like that is also a big threat yeah i mean the the drag the government is a drag on the economy and on productivity and people's well-being primarily because of the of its physical restrictions that it imposes on people. You can't do this kind of business or our thugs will show up and shut you down. Right. Right. So it's like, to me, this is like a piece of the puzzle, Yeah, but it's not the whole thing. Competition does play a role there. Um, If you have two jurisdictions right now that are super, you know, violent, shitty policies, Mm -hmm. big drag on people's, you know, um, behavior IRL Mm -hmm. makes them shitty places to live, but nobody's very mobile. Um, if people are very mobile, then even though you can't in either of those jurisdictions escape the violence of the state, Mm -hmm. if you can move jurisdictions that will compel the state to, uh, enact better policies. Sure. Even if like just to, just to keep people in that jurisdiction and, and to attract, uh, like high value people who maybe you won't be able to take as high a percentage of their wealth as taxes, Mm -hmm. but be able to take some small percentage that's almost semi-voluntarily given that will make you want to attract them. Does it feel like people in general are moving towards that direction of being able to have that kind of like wherewithal? Like to me, it doesn't feel that way. I think so. Why do you say that? Uh, I just see so many trends which are increasing mobility, knowledge of English, uh, international business norms, spread Mm -hmm. of culture, um, being able to go to a new city and find places to eat, uh, things to do, um, be able to get a date using an online dating app. You think dating's going well right now? No, no, I wouldn't say it's, <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't say it's going well, but it's a huge deal if I'm like, if, let's say I'm an American professional mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about moving to London and I'm like, all right, well, I can use Yelp to find restaurants. I can read online about where I might like to live to find a place. And with no social social structure, mm-hmm. I can try to find a date using an online dating app. And people, like, obviously, I think online dating apps are trash, but they do, like, kind of work. You can go to another country and get a date. Yeah. And that I- increases mobility, and that, inc- that decreases the ability of governments to keep people or expect that people will stay in one place. I think it's that I don't think that governments are the only threat to your, like, sovereignty, though. I think, like... For example, like I think dating apps are bad because dating apps want to keep you on dating apps, you know? And so like dating apps are not even the same league as the government. All right. T- yeah. Tinder, of course, has, of course, Tinder has some fucked up incentives. Sure. But like the government wants to take my shit and throw me in a cage if I do certain things like they're just in different tiers. Of course, of course. But I'm saying like I think like what you're describing in terms of like sovereign individuals having the 
um, like people becoming sovereign individuals, basically like mm-hmm. having the sort of like situation, knowledge base, income flow, whatever, to be able to actually challenge the government. Like how many people that actually is, I think is relatively low. And I say that because I think like people are kind of becoming more dependent on structures, whether that's government or just sort of like the structures in their lives. Like I don't necessarily think people are like moving in like a sovereign individual vibe. That being said, I think that there are people that are and like good for them and they might be enough to like make the change that then sort of like See, challenges I, the thing. I don't think I don't that know. people really need to challenge the government. Mm-hmm. I think that people need to have the ability and willingness to leave. Yeah. I think that is what really does it is that on, and, and this doesn't, it's on the margins. Like it's, it's, it's a marginal change. Like, okay, a hundred years ago, you know, point, you know, 1% of people aside from like, um, you know, migrants and stuff like that, a very small percentage of people could, you know, pack up and successfully make a change and go to another country or even mm-hmm. have the idea that you could mm-hmm. or be, be not be so intimidated in doing it. And then it's 2% and then it's, six percent and then it's ten percent and then it's fifteen percent and then it's twenty five percent maybe it's not going to get to a hundred percent but the percentage of people who can like pick up and and go somewhere else is is getting higher higher. but i guess like is that the primary like challenge to these governments is people picking up and leaving yes because are you gonna leave america no but i could right uh but also i don't know if, if if other places get good enough um yeah. Uh, but also I, I, if I was younger, that's another thing. Like I'm yeah. pretty, you know, I'm pretty like life, <laughs> life or American at this point. We're digging your grave right now. Digging my grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm digging my own grave. But yeah. yeah, like, like I actually think that governments, it's interesting to think about like what would make governments compete? Well, yeah. like governments want, governments are, are, are fractious, non-agentic things. Mm-hmm. They're composed of a, a lot of different actors, often with non-unitary entity composed of many different actors that have many different goals and motivations. Politicians like to get reelected. Politicians like to get reelected. I mean, they want to like produce good outcomes. They want to like reduce unemployment and raise wages so that people vote for them. Mm -hmm. And if highly productive people abandon the country because they can go somewhere else and have a better life, those politicians will be forced to think about what their policies are that are making those individuals abandon the country. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand the mechanism. I think my doubt, like, okay. So when COVID happened, right. Yeah. I, this is basically what I thought was going to happen is like, Oh, like all these cities that have these like unfavorable sort of lockdown situations, like people will leave them and they'll flee mm-hmm. and they'll go to other places. Yep. And they did, but like not really as much as I thought they would. And I also am not sure how like permanent that is. Austin's popping off. Right. Austin's popping off. Like it's definitely a thing, but in terms of like global revolution done because people will are willing to move to other cities or countries, I'm not sure that I personally believe that that's enough. Ooh, I don't know. Uh, So just my experience of being in the San Francisco Bay area over Mm -hmm. the course of the pandemic. Yeah. The Bitcoin scene got gutted. Um, I got added to the Bitcoin. You got added to the Bitcoin scene, (laughs) but many people exited well, but Bitcoiners Bitcoin are like very sovereign individual vibes. Yeah, like, and so I'm saying that like, yeah, I'm saying that the percentage of people who are able and willing to do that will increase over time, right? You can go to a different country and you can still right. have contact with your friends. You can take your money in your brain in the form of a Bitcoin wallet. 
you you know can can like all the all the things that you enjoy in a current country is going to be available to you in another country you can sure. watch all the tv shows and movies that you want i i think those are real positive factors i guess the question is like how much yeah. that's my question right. is yeah. how much does yeah. that really because to me it's like okay if you can if you can maintain your current life and it just becomes easy to evade government control or government taxes then yes i do and it, it is just a like matter of adopting certain tools or technologies like mm -hmm. yes i do yeah. think that that's a genuine challenge but if the actual kind of like mechanism for challenging is like well if i don't like it here i'm just gonna move to malta it's mm -hmm. like how many people will actually do that? Is that right. actually is yeah. this, like big enough factor to provide structural change? I don't know. Like, but to me, I think like the potential for people to just adopt Bitcoin, for example, and to right. use that, like yeah. that to me seems like a mechanism that could actually challenge and like, and, and be accessible to a much larger percentage of exactly, people. Exactly. And also people don't even really need to, like, it's weird. People don't really need to, uh, in adopting Bitcoin, they don't actually need to, like actively challenge the state or break any laws for that to be highly disruptive to the state. Yeah. If everybody just uses Bitcoin and they pay their taxes, you still can't inflate the money supply anymore. That exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this one lever of power just goes away. If people stop demanding the dollar, you, you can neither print money nor can you credibly issue as much debt as you used to. That to me is the biggest challenge to government that I think like will like, uh, this is sort of another topic, but like, I feel like a lot of people, um, harp on like Bitcoin as being like a, a anti-war thing, like, like that oh, Bitcoin, yeah. right. And like, to me, like the reason why it's anti-war is because if you can't print money to fund your war, it becomes much harder to justify That's your right. war to your people. Yeah. You actually have to be like, you want to spend a dollar to go to war and everybody's like, no. Yeah, exactly. But I think a lot of people like do this weird convoluted, like first principles logic mm -hmm. where they're like, they're like, oh, well, because it's uh, on the blockchain, we can just have violence happen on the blockchain instead of happening in real life. Like having property be on the blockchain will reduce physical violence in real life. And it's like, no, like people are just going to yeah. still beat you up for your lunch money or whatever the yeah, fuck I in real life. To, like, like, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of time people, I mean, I think we're both critical of this kind of thinking. Yeah. Where they're like Bitcoin is energy. By moving <laughs> money into the world of energy, we'll move the we'll move violence into the world of energy. Yes, exactly, right? exactly. And I'm like, yeah. what the like? I just no. want to hear like <laughs> this. It reminds me of a lot of Web three stuff. Yeah, like people talking about like insane schemes, and I'm like, all right, listen, I just want to hear some details. Like, yeah. I just want you to lay out how we're gonna get from A to B. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I think that's kind of like yeah. Obviously, we we talked a little bit about like their thesis about violence and kind of like. Uh, I don't know. I think violence is just like going to be happening. Yeah. Like just generally. Violence is really interesting. I mean, one thing that I think this book is really persuasive about is it says that not a lot of thought is given, not a lot of thought and not a lot of, you know, attention in, in academia, in popular culture, et cetera, is given to the role of violence in shaping the world. Mm -hmm. Violence is sort of treated as an aberration. Like, oh, like you have these little pockets of violence in the form of crime or civil unrest or like large pockets of violence in the form of wars or, uh, you know, violent unrest. Mm -hmm. But these are sort of like aberrations and we don't violence isn't really like interesting. Like we don't really have to think about it. But I think their point is that the whole world is every realm of the world is shaped by who exercises violence in that realm 
how, how much and what forces yeah. oppose them. So if you look at, you know, American civil society, America itself, we don't think about it as a violent place. I mean, like zooming out, you know, it's not a violent place. Yeah. But in fact, the order that exists entirely exists because of the America's balance. America's domination of violence. No, yeah, because yeah. of the nation state's dominance, dominance of violence within the Worldwide. Borders. No, 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 no. I'm actually thinking about worldwide. Uh, sorry, not, not thinking about worldwide, actually thinking about within the borders. Mm -hmm. Like, why is there a rule of law? Well, it's because the cops have a monopoly on violence. Right. Right? If yeah. that, and, and I think that's where they say, like, large-scale violence decreases, small-scale violence increases. Yes, I agree with that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As these, like... But I actually... I kind of don't know. I, I don't really see... I mean, I, I guess I think certain... So, okay, so I think some policies of the government mm -hmm. particularly around victimless crimes will become more and more untenable as the consequences of creating highly lucrative arenas outside of the rule of law increases so like tax fraud no 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 not tax fraud tax fraud is not that like no like violence sorry like drugs right mm -hmm. like if you can effectively nonviolent offenses yeah not victimless crimes yeah right yeah. Uh, i think victimless crimes are the hardest to enforce mm -hmm. because with a vic with a crime where there's a victim there's somebody there are people who are everybody's trying to avoid justice is yeah everybody's trying to avoid the crime and if it happens to them as long as they don't die they're going to tell you about it mm -hmm. they're going to tell you like hey i was su subject to a crime mm -hmm. but a victimless crime is just two people trying to do a deal right of right. some sort and so they're very hard to police and I mean, we've already seen um, large paramilitary organizations because of the opportunity created by the war on drugs mm -hmm. become more and more powerful and become more and more sovereign. Right. The, like, for example, I forget what I think it was in the last 10 years, uh, the Mexican government took a high ranking member of a cartel. Uh, they imprisoned him. They captured and imprisoned him. And then his uh, cartel basically started like uh, getting in their like Humvees and shit mm -hmm. and starting to like physically challenge the Mexican government with right. like violence. Yeah. And the Mexican government backed down and released him. Yeah, I think the cartels are a good example of like the large scale violence, like going away for right. more small scale, right. like warlord type shit. But I actually think that this is entirely a avoidable and self-inflicted wound. Sure. I think if you made drugs legal, cartels would essentially trans the, the, the illegal drug industry would bloodlessly transform itself into nonviolent businesses mm -hmm. providing drugs over the course of, 30 years that's very hippie of you no i just think it's like reality i mean it's i like, agree with you yeah saying. yeah yeah but it's like it's like these people are are there's there's demand for drugs and in order to meet that demand and make money you have to step outside of the rule of law yeah and like do violence and subject others to violence sure and once they're allowed to once people are allowed to meet that demand without stepping out of the rule of law mm -hmm. well you can meet it much more efficiently by not engaging in violence violence is extremely costly right so nonviolent uh nonviolent uh production and distribution of drugs will just outcompete uh violent production and distribution of drugs if it's allowed to exist right with no no intervention necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems like an easy, I'm like, come on, let's just fix that. Seems easy. Yeah. yeah but you know, yeah. government competence. I wonder what other, if there's other 
things that they would say that will like these small, what other examples of small scale violence increasing and becoming more prevalent in um, I think competition over resources, like mm. if you have, you know, places with large amounts of drought and you're fighting over mm. water, like I think that could become like a small scale sort mm. of thing. And I think that's actually like pessimistically, I think that's what the cartels will transform into in mm. that area, regardless yeah. of the drug situation. I think they'll eventually just become like a water and resources sort mm-hmm. of fight, yeah. you know, Mad Max style. Yep. Um, so I think that's an example of one where it's like, yeah, if you have decreased resources to support populations, you're going to have more small scale violence between those populations. Mm. Um, yeah. One interesting, uh, thing they also talked about was, was the return of more varied forms of government, more varied entities that perform some of the function of governments. Mm -hmm. Um, like they mentioned the order of order of Malta, like the sovereign order of Malta, which is a Catholic Uh, lay military order um, taking control of Fort Fort St. Angelo in Malta, which is in 1998, was it? Um, This, this, uh, this Christian, this Catholic order signed an agreement to take control. They, uh, to take control of part of this fort in Malta, Mm -hmm. along with a whole host of extraterritorial um, uh, privileges uh, being exempt from like search and seizure, um, being allowed to do all sorts of things and not being subject to the standard, you know, gov- normal government of, of Malta, mm-hmm. which I think is like, we haven't, it's a very interesting thesis. We haven't seen much of that aside from that example. Although actually, I mean, I guess the, the free trade zones, uh, special economic zones have become more and more common. Mm-hmm. All over the world, there's a shocking number of of special economic zones under which, like the duty free area of an airport. Uh, yeah, that's not exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of. Most mostly, I'm think they're mostly like border areas with a lot of um like factories mm-hmm. where people are allowed to like receive materials, process goods, and send them out again, and be exempt from certain tariffs that are, those activities would usually incur outside of the special economic zone. Mm -hmm. So that is a sort of an example of an emergence of a kind of patchwork of a kind of limited patchwork where different sorts of laws apply. Yeah. I mean, I like that idea. Like that's like my like anarchist utopia idea is like, I don't know, just more like weird different ways of doing government. Like Mm -hmm. we were talking before we started recording about like maybe nation states are just like a blip like in like that we had like more like weird other kinds of government diversity of like governance styles throughout history and then we came to this like geopolitical global society where everything is like governed by like countries that more or less are like organized in similar ways and they're pretty big yeah 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 it's interesting how few nation states remain i mean like there's like the vatican andorra monaco uh singapore Taiwan's not a nation state, it's a <laughs> uh, but there's not a lot. It's a very small number of nation states. They all just got swallowed up into some larger polity. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, we're at over an hour now. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple things. I'm just looking through my notes to see if there's anything I missed. Oh, I like that they um, said that passwords were magic. 
that like writing in abracadabra uh-huh, yeah. is like a, a yeah. like it's what someone would consider to be magic. I mean, I think they 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 talked about this a lot that the powers of the sovereign individual will look a lot like, like a god. magic, yeah, yeah, like gods, yeah, yeah, like gods and demons. Love that, yeah. I it, that specifically reminded me of the Bitcoin D demon running mm-hmm. in the background, right? That like it's just a little demon in the background running Bitcoin. A lot of stuff in computers is quite fancifully named. It's cute, yeah. Um, yeah, that like yeah, they do, totally are just like sovereign individuals or gods. Um, I don't know. I just love. I mean, I feel like I've been sort of critical of it uh, in this episode, but I honestly love the way that this book is written. It's uh-huh. like such just like vibes. Oh mythology. yeah, vibes. It's bold. They make crazy predictions. Yeah. They also have this part where they say like, "Listen, if you're not like just like going off, you are a cuck." Yeah. Right. Like, be bold. Like, yeah. Make some wrong. You know. Uh, no, it's wrong so cute. They're just like, you know what? Like, we should just shut the fuck up right now, but we're not going yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna make our fucking predictions, and good for them. Yeah. The one, the one, the big area where they didn't do such a good job of predicting was Y2K. Was Y2K. Yeah. For those who don't remember, uh, in uh, like, what, what was it, like 2000 or something? The year 2000. Yeah, year 2000. Uh, everybody was like, computers have been using two digits for the year field in dates. And when it goes from 99 to 00, there's going to be hell to pay. And it, everything was fine. I wish I was conscious during Y2K. Mm. I was like three. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't really remember Y2K. But I would have loved that shit. I feel like I would have been like I remember totally that shit. going all Yeah, out. nobody knew. Yeah. Nobody knew what was going to happen. I would have done was... something crazy. Like I would have like been like, it's the last day before the computer is <laughs> all blah, blah, blah. Who wants to kiss? You know? Should <laughs> I? This, it's gonna, I can make it a lot lighter if I move this. We're almost done. We're going to just wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. Just leave it. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. What else do um, we have to go? Yeah. Y2K. I also love that like they launched into the Y2K right after they like said that they're not being astrologers. Quote, unlike many forecasters, we want you to understand and even duplicate our line of thinking. It's not based upon psychic reveries or the gyrations of the planets, but upon mm-hmm. old fashioned ugly logic. And yeah. then they're like, but the year 2000 kind of a weird number huh? yeah right yeah 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 <laughs> seems like a lot is happening with this year 2000 yeah thing. yeah it's fine i understand that like men can't like reconcile with the illogical in the way that like i can and so they mm-hmm. they have to be like but it's not astrology though and it's yeah. like mm, but it is kind of just astrology one one note that i have about one thing that limits this coming true is mm-hmm. that people seek status and to the extent that people seek, seek status in person, that limits human mobility. Yeah. One of the primary reasons that I live in the Bay Area is because everybody I know is in the Bay Area and I want to be able to hang out with them. Exactly. And like, if that wasn't, if that wasn't a consideration, I would be long gone. That's what long I'm saying. Gone. Yeah. That's what I'm saying about like all of this, like kind of like, oh, well, people just will move all over the place. It's like, yeah, like maybe if it's like a really great country with a lot of good beaches, you know, like mm. people will be convinced to move there regardless of like being halfway across the world from like status, people, family, whatever. But right. like just generally speaking, I think people live in the beaches places are that they fucking boring. Listen, <laughs> you go to a beach, <laughs> disagree, go to one beach, you've been to a mall. What's your favorite natural setting? The forest. The forest. Yeah. The, oh, okay. I like deserts too. I like deserts quite okay. a bit. Yeah. Deserts, I like the beach. The forest. <laughs> I, this, sand, get, getting sand on me is not my you favorite You just said thing. you like the desert. 
Yeah, but I, I mean, like, <laughs> no, no, but the beach specifically, you're supposed to, like, get in the sand. Yeah. And, like, I, see, I love, like, rolling around in the sand and, like, just, like, picking it up. Ugh, and, like, it's ugh. great. I feel like it's good for you. Awful. No, terrible. <laughs> terrible. Picking out of your ass crack days later. Um, on that note, should we? are we done? Should we? I guess... What is what's the next chapter? Oh yeah, um, let's take a look. Yeah, let's let's take read a, a little preview, a little teaser of the oh, next yeah. chapter. I'm actually pretty good at reading aloud, so okay. Next, <laughs> <laughs> so modest too. Next chapter is the mega political transformations in historic perspective. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Looks like we're gonna get a lot of history there. This might yeah. be a really boring chapter. Um, in our view, you're witnessing nothing less than the waning of the modern age. It is a development driven by a ruthless but hidden logic. More than we commonly understand, more than CNN and the newspapers tell us, the next millennium will no longer be modern. Mm. I'll stop there. It'll be hypermodern. Yeah, postmodern. Yeah, I think we're like that's the thing for. is that we we can't be postmodern. We already did postmodern. Yeah, but I think that's actually one of the things people talk about is that this book predicted postmodernism. Mm. So that's probably mm. partially what they're going off about. So we're we are in the postmodern. Yeah. But yeah, um, so I don't know when we'll record that episode, probably in like a month or something. Yeah, or who knows? Maybe we'll yeah. run out of ideas for things to do. Yeah, we'll be, like, be next and week. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, um, follow along, read along, yeah, or yeah, not. Yeah, 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 we yeah. basically just talked about that Tell chapter us, for post, an hour. Post comments with your crazy unhinged takes. Yeah, wait, give us your predictions. Yeah, your predictions. Yeah. Be daring. Have- be daring. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks, Casey. This is a great discussion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks for suggesting this. This of is a course. good idea. I yeah. was uh, I was a, a skeptical at first, but you know. Yeah, I thought you might just be illiterate and you were trying to hide it. So it's kind of true. I can't I, actually I just read. Somebody read it to me. It was... <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Okay. Well, we'll see you next week. Yeah. All right. Bye, bye everybody. <laughs>